Welcome to the Beyond High Performance Podcast, featuring content and conversations from me, Jason Jaggard, along with our elite coaches at Novus Global, their high-performing clients, and the faculty of the Meta Performance Institute for Coaching. On this podcast, you'll hear some of the world's best executive coaches and high-performing leaders, artists, and athletes discuss how they continue to go beyond high performance in their lives and businesses. Welcome to this episode of On Coaching. One of the most disruptive, destructive, diminishing things we can experience as humans is fear. I'm Joseph King Barkley, and today I'm joined by fellow Novus executive coaches Lee Tracy Stockberger, Janet Breitenbach, and John Roberts to discuss the monster under the bed, the big boogeyman itself, fear. We're going to explore some of our earliest relationships with the concept, how it's held us back in the past, and how we have learned to harness our fear into energy that can be used to not only connect with our vision, but create our future. As coaches, we're committed to helping our clients get out of their own way. So if, not when, that fear arises for you, this is a fantastic resource on how to use it to your advantage. We hope you enjoy the show. The wait is finally over. Our new book, Beyond High Performance, What Great Coaches Know About How the Best Get Better is available for purchase wherever books are sold. This USA Today bestseller is more than 250 pages of expertise, anecdotes, and insights from Novus Global Coaches, as well as faculty from the Meta Performance Institute for Coaching. We are so excited to put our proprietary framework that has helped thousands of leaders achieve more into your hands. And we can't wait to see how you'll use the book to enhance your life and leadership. To learn more and obtain this essential resource for yourself, visit novus.global forward slash book. Well, we're excited to be with you for the latest episode of On Coaching. My name is Joseph King Barkley. I get to serve as an executive coach in Novus Global, and I also get to be the president of the Meta Performance Institute. I'm joined today by some exceptional friends of mine, and I would love for you to introduce yourselves. Hi, my name is Janet Breitenbach. I'm a partner at our firm, and I also serve as faculty coach for the Meta Performance Institute for Coaching. Hello, my name is Lee Tracy Stockberger. I am also an associate coach at Novus Global and adjunct faculty at Trinity Western University, where I work with the leaders in the leadership program. Hey, everyone. John Roberts here, senior partner at Novus Global, executive coach, and also faculty at the Meta Performance Institute. Today, we get to talk about fear. And fear is this often overwhelming, disturbing force that our minds often infect our lives with. It has a tendency to distort how we see the world, how we see ourselves. Fear left unnoticed, unaddressed, could have an impact on our finances, our future, our relationships. It's even been proven to have an impact on our health. But maybe it's not just a monster under the bed. Maybe fear is something that could be a gift, a teacher, and that's what we want to uncover today. Rather than treating fear like something that we should deny because grown-ups aren't supposed to be afraid of things or something that we want to ignore or something we want to completely get rid of in our lives, is it possible for fear to be resourceful? John, you and I have talked about this a little bit. What do you got? I think it's an incredibly fascinating topic, and you even watch a parent-child relationship, right? A Often these days, a parent, they're trying to pull their kids through the fear, right? Don't be afraid. Do it, you know, get beyond your fear. 
And so I think kids generally grow up and they have the negative connotation of fear. Like it's bad. It's something to conquer. Like if I'm afraid, I'm in a bad position and it's going to hurt me. And so I think once you get people into adulthood, fear has this thing that fear holds you back. I think that's a very common conception. Just fear is going to hold you back. So you shouldn't be afraid or you should frankly build a life to where fear can't touch you. And I encounter this a lot when I'm working with my clients and they come to me and they're frustrated and they're like, John, help me conquer the fear. Help me rid my life of fear. And I say, hey, you know, we could probably do that. We can probably get you through the fears into action. But what if we looked at fear as a resource? What if we, and the example that I think in word word pictures a lot, and the example I like to use is I often find my clients trying to lock fear out. Mm. Like whether it's a home, they're barricading the door, multiple locks, you know, I will be safe if the fear can stay out there. It takes so much of their time and attention and energy just trying to keep the fear away and to keep the fear out. And so I often say, hey, would you consider we let the fear in? Because I frankly share with them, I have a theory that fear's always there. It's just, are you aware of it or not? And so I like to say, hey, let's invite fear in. Let's make it our friend. Let's, but it, it can't hug us. It can't paralyze us. It's not allowed to do that because we're now choosing the relationship that we want to have with fear. I'll say that again, choosing the relationship that we want to have with fear. And I like to say, we're going to do great things in our life. Fear's always going to be there. And I point back to the corner where the chair is. And I say, just have it sit over there. And then sometimes it'll come and bear hug you and then say, hey, fear, this isn't the relationship we agreed upon. Or, hey, fear, what are you trying to tell me right now? Like, is there something in this? Because often, I just had a client today. I asked him, hey, what are you afraid of? And he couldn't answer it. And I think that's interesting. If you can't answer what you're afraid of, hmm, what might be hiding there? How might they be that be getting in your way? So even when I ask somebody what they're afraid of, if they can answer it, I love that. We can use it. If they're not afraid of anything, that makes me even more curious. I'm excited to dig deeper into that. I really think that is one of the key things that we commit to doing as coaches is helping people get out of their own way. And I resonate with that. I think all of psychology would as well. If fear indeed is one of the primary or primal emotions that we have, there's no locking it out. Fear is going to rise in you. So learning how to relate to it in a new way. What a great, what a great picture. I really enjoyed that, John. And I think too, if it's our teacher, if it could be our teacher, would you like fear to I'll open up some opportunity for you as far as making you a more compassionate person. I do think fear develops compassion. When we feel afraid, as we interact with other humans in the world, we often have those moments where we can have deep empathy with them going through a moment of fear. And often that comes from having gone through similar moments ourselves. I also think of the way that fear develops resilience, stepping into our fears and overcoming them, even stepping into tiny fears and learning, oh, I did that, develops a new way of thinking. I could, I could overcome that fear. I could at least move through it and get a result that maybe I didn't expect. I like the idea of fear cultivating wisdom. If you step into fear, you learn to make some appropriate choices. When is fear helpful to you? It keeps you from making inappropriate choices. Sometimes you need to make a few of those inappropriate choices and experience a result to learn the way of wisdom. 
That also is a fun thing with kids, letting them experiment, letting them see the results that they'll get when they even step into their fear a little themselves. I think also the idea of fear developing courage really is there courage without fear being present. And I define courage as the not the absence of fear, but the absence of self. And in this case, the absence of self-preservation. So I do think we want to preserve ourselves and fear is there to help us do that. And often self-preservation gets in the way of doing incredibly courageous things, taking on things that we might not otherwise do. And our clients are up to good things like that in the world. They need courage and courage rises with fear. I don't know that I want it out of the room for any of my clients or for me for that matter. Yeah, just a quick note there, Lee, to riff with you on courage, we're working with our clients to go and do things that they've never done before, right? Vision, inherently fear of failure. I've never done this before. And so then courage acting when fear's around, right? It's not that it's not that we remove the fear so you can act. It's it's putting on that leadership value attribute of courage. I really love that. I don't know. I don't know about you all, but when this is what I'm noticing, when we go into work with teams and leaders, I find that often even having the conversation about fear is a brand new one. Saying phrases like I'm afraid or I'm scared or I have a fear of is actually pretty uncommon. And so I think even just identifying and just like John was saying earlier, it's not bad so how can we we begin to identify what our fears are? And there's an exercise we do when we're working with teams that allows us to actually list the different emotions that often are fear-based. And I find that to be really helpful because personally, I find that little kids, like two, three, four-year-olds are great at stating when they're afraid. They'll say, I'm afraid or I'm scared. And then we grow up to be adults and we have all these layers and these survival needs kind of caking over ourselves. And then instead of saying, I'm scared, we'll say phrases like, oh, I'm stressed out or I'm anxious. We often will actually say, I'm scared of losing my job or I'm afraid I won't be able to provide for my family or I'm scared that I'm not good enough for that promotion that I want. And so I think identifying some of the other feelings and emotions can be a good breadcrumb to discovering what it is that we're afraid of. Because if I'm anxious or if I'm stressed, usually that means there's a fear there and identifying that can be very powerful. Jenna, I think that's incredible. And it just made me think of part of my journey with fear because Janet, we've worked together for so long. You know how much I love to live in my head and just to see it and figure it all out. I've been on this journey of reconnecting mind and body, and it's been so life-giving to sit in meetings and start to feel so frustrated and maybe even angry. And often that's not because of other people. That's because something's happening inside of me that says, oh, we're not going to win, right? It's a very like noble thing. It's we're not going to be successful. Maybe less healthy is I won't be successful, but even to watch companies evolve with the mind body bringing their full selves being able to communicate it to others because i'm sure people on this call have been in meetings and they're like why is that person responding like that like whoa why did this get very you know adversarial or now we're not on the same team it's like it can change in a moment to where we're not on the same team anymore and lee you spoke a little bit about this but my guess is fears probably if you dig far enough you'll find fear lack of safety and then, you know, 
short term, I think you're playing a losing game. Um, so that made me think of that, Janet. Well, and fear, if it's true to the emotional research that's coming out, that initial reaction to an event or circumstance, if you sit in the emotion of fear, it's going to pass. But if you get into those secondary emotions like frustration, like adversarial, a feeling of being adversarial, those stick around. So it's kind of our thoughts and even habits that keep an emotion or a feeling around that was actually a response to the fear. The fear might have come and gone if you would have just sat in it, recognized it, and let it pass. Or put it on the table like a little child. I'm afraid of this. But we often, we are the ones who grab onto that secondary emotion and keep it in the room. So that fear, I want to say, gets way more traction than it necessarily ought to. So we have a lot of executive coaches, even life coaches that listen to this podcast, but we also have leaders, leaders of in different divisions, fields, organizations, nonprofit, for-profit. And I'm curious how you have noticed as a coach and maybe even as a leader, how your own relationship to your fears impacts your ability to coach or lead others. John and Janet have coached me so much. Like, I'm sure they can list off <laughs> all the ways that I am getting in my own way. I can jump into it as a long-term card-carrying people pleaser. One of the fears is not being liked, not being not being received well, or not having good rapport with people. So imagine a moment where I get to say something hard, a hard truth to a client, a hard piece of feedback, and I am afraid that person is not going to like me, man, more than anything, they need somebody in the room with them who is unafraid to say what they're seeing, even if they're mm. not sure it's completely right. Often, I'm guessing. We don't always have a crystal ball. Well, I would say I don't have any crystal ball anytime with my clients. We have intuition and we have a lot of practice knowledge about reading humans, listening for things, but we don't know. So fear just grabs me in moments like that often. And it's, it really, it's some hard work to like, again, sit fear on the chair and say, it doesn't matter. You don't get, you don't get the last say in this interaction. Well, I am a fellow people pleaser. In fact, I think for several years, I was the president of the club <laughs> and That's it has right. impacted. That's right. You're on my, you're on my card. I forgot. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> and on a very practical level, I have had as an entrepreneur formerly, I have had members of my team quit and their feedback to me was that I did not create clarity for them, clear requests, clear vision. And as I unpacked that with my executive coach at the time, I realized that my desire, my need to have this person like me created this behavior of being vague and vague with my requests and my sure. expectations. And it it nurtured this environment where no one knew what it looked like to win. And it wasn't exciting for people who wanted to play a big game and wanted to succeed. Uh, and I've lost clients earlier on in my coaching practice because I wasn't disruptive enough. So in efforts to get them to like me, they left me. When, when I think about coaching and when I think about coming to my coaching sessions, I think fear can absolutely have a major impact. And really, to me, when I'm coming to a coaching session, it's pretty black and white. Am I approaching this from a fear place or a place of love? And when I think about love, I think about flow. I think about courage, curiosity, clarity. 
I think around highly disruptive because it's fierce advocacy. Like I think one of my gifts is disruption and clarity in someone's life. And I think it's best served when that person knows that I am so for them. I think if I try things, I've also had clients and I think I've also been around team members where they watch me trying to use my superpower from a fear standpoint. And it's like, <laughs> everything gets very, we might even still win, but there's damage. There's relational damage, there's <laughs> trust damage. And so it's almost kind of like, what kind of gasoline are you putting in your car? I think when I can still coach from a place of fear, but I think the gasoline is dirty and it has impacts on the car long-term. I guess this doesn't matter if we go to electric cars, but for now <laughs> that still counts. Hi, my name is Mike Park, and I'm a proud graduate of the Meta Performance Institute for Coaching. The faculty of the Meta Performance Institute not only provided the training, tools, and experience to learn how to coach people toward powerful growth and thrilling results, but also advocated for that kind of growth and results in my own life. I had the unique opportunity to have world-class executive coaches invest in my development, both professionally and personally. It's a privilege to be part of a tribe of coaches fiercely committed to exploring what we are capable of together. If you're looking to become a coach or to set up your coaching practice to reach the next level, I highly recommend the certification from the Meta Performance Institute for Coaching. To fill out a free assessment of your abilities as a coach and to connect with someone to find out if the Meta Performance Institute is for you, check out www.mp.institute. Well, when it comes to serving our clients really well, many of our clients are, I mean, they are serving teams of tens, twenties, hundreds of people. They are managing budgets, sometimes of multiples of millions, even billions of dollars. I'm thinking of some of our clients and they get to have expanded vision, big dreams, big goals. What are some of the most common fears that you notice coming up with our clients that they allow to get in their way when they're playing such a sizable game? I see pretty often, especially with clients that are or that have moved up in their role. Let's say they got really good at doing the job and now they've been promoted to be a leader of people and they're really getting stuck in the weeds. They get stuck doing the job rather, or you know, working in the business rather on the business. And that's one of the most common outcomes or visions that a lot of my clients have. And this illusion of doing it the right way, I think, is one of the biggest fears. I'll hear a lot of phrases like, well, I don't know what the right timing is or what the right thing to do is or what the right way to do or the best way to do it. And this illusion of the right answer or the right time or the right way to have this conversation or the right system to pick for our team to utilize, this tends to be one of the biggest ones. Like, it, what if I get it wrong? Like, that is the biggest fear, which, you know, of course, there's layers to that. For some people might be more actually just being wrong. That is the core fear. It could be wasting time. Like, what if I picked the wrong path and then we wasted all this time? Or what if I picked the wrong path and now our company failed or we lost out on that job or we lost millions of dollars? Okay. There often are a lot of really high stakes and so obviously those fears can either, well, can often create stagnation or can get people really stuck and in their head. So that's one of the biggest fears that I see. And then it becomes about actually changing the conversation from what's the right answer to what's the game that I want to play? What would be worth being messy for? What would be worth 
trying something new? What would be worth experimenting? What would be worth taking a swing at? What's a conversation, a feedback conversation I can have with a colleague that's messy and imperfect so that we can create alignment? So I think the conversation shifts once it goes from what's the right answer to what's the game that I want to play. Yeah, Jen, it's, a, it's an interesting point. I think when most executives, leaders, I mean, working with leaders who are leading thousands, tens of thousands, that's no small feat. And A, I'm just so impressed of their ability to carry that because we get to work with some people that really, like one of the fears, Joseph, is, hey, John, it's not about me anymore. I have all these people relying on mm. me, livelihoods, mm. families. That's a lot. And I think once you become a leader, whatever fears you're carrying is going to start to magnify and, and, and just multiply. Um, and then you you can think I often within the first 60 minutes of sitting and talking with somebody, fear I'm not going to win, not get the results, not get to the next level, not get the job, not hit the metrics, lose my job, right? There's like not have enough money, not be able to afford. There's all of those that we can go through. And I love, I love getting those out early and often. Let's get the entire list. But then it's interesting if you hit them with a dose of perspective. Hey, let's imagine you're on your deathbed. What are you going to regret? Right. And it takes it out of the momentary, it takes it out of our annual goal. And it might expose some different fears. Hey, you know, was I the parent? Was I the partner, the spouse? the brother, like it's interesting, then those fears come up. And I'm not really looking for an answer, but I am looking for what's meaningful. And I think another way of using fear as resource is to find meaning. And it's one of my favorite things to watch somebody, because anytime you have a fear conversation, it's vulnerable, people get uncomfortable. But as coaches, we're really digging in there for meaning. Because yes, we're going to get the results. We want the bonuses. We want material success. But I think when you really dig into it, there's some deep fears that people have. Maybe fear of not being loved, fear of not being seen, fear of not exploring what I'm capable of, fear fear of wasting my life and not going for it. I think you really see a lot of people, that's sort of that midlife thing where they're like, am I happy? Is this what I want to do it? And I think coaching, frankly, unlocks people. And I think I, I think Janet and Lee and Joseph, you could all tell myriads of stories of where people go, I never would have explored it. I never would have even thought about it had you not held space for me to not only address my surface fears, but even dig into the more meaningful ones beneath. That's great. We actually have an assessment at Novus Global called the Five Eyes that jumps into motivations. And I want to say that it might be a little bit revelatory if it's on our website. You can always go on and take that assessment at any time. But the idea that underneath that motivation, could, that could be fueled by fear or that could be fueled by love and self-awareness. And, and I think, John, a lot of those were aligned with what we look at, You know, whether it's you know a desire for impact or meaning, the fear of living a meaning, meaningless life. I think of intimacy for me. I don't want to be alone. I'm afraid of that. So if you kind of look at what maybe really motivates you, probably on the other side of that motivation, it's worth peeling back the curtain and saying, is there something I'm afraid of here that's motivating you? It might A, switch your motivation. We don't think this is locked in forever, but it might also give you some insight as to how you could shift out of fear attached to that motivating and really motivate yourself from a new place. Yeah. 
Lee, you just made me think of something as you were talking. One of the biggest fears we see are people afraid to choose. Like mm, some people yeah. will get on and they'll like, you know, That's a vision big. conversation can be great with a coach, but then you bring somebody up to the moment to where, hey, because if I choose, what if I'm wrong? And what, you know, what if I make the wrong choice? Then what is my life? And I see so many people, I see so many people just sort of sit back. They say, you know, what I have is fine because, you know, at least I know it, right? It's known. Yeah, it's right. And part of coaching is just bringing the fear out of the darkness, bringing into the light, starting to shine the light on it, seeing how we even feel about it. I often just talk, a lot of my time is spent allowing somebody to talk through, okay, if I made that choice and got it wrong, what's the consequences? Oh, you know what? Not super bad. You know, I could recover from that. And then man, <laughs> when you watch a resourceful, proactive human realize that they don't have to get the right choice or the perfect choice, that they have the power to choose in the midst of fear, take action, and then do yep. it over and over again. And Joseph, I think a lot of entrepreneurship I think you've probably, I think that's one of your gifts is just the willing to go and to try and to come back and do it again. Beautiful. I mean, honestly, I do feel like that's another resourcefulness. And John, you are my current reality guru, getting clear on current reality. But I love that twist on it is what if you really address what actually is current reality in regards to your fear? Could this really happen? And if it did, you know, staring that down. Yeah. Gives you're, a new bringing perspective. Up, you're bringing up the concept of data, current reality data. Yeah. So even if you're at a stage of life where you're very afraid, start writing down what you're afraid of. One of my favorite, this is a practical example, one of my favorite ways to deal with fear, because this might be a shock to a lot of you. I wake up overwhelmed, anxious, and fearful of the life I'm choosing to live, right? Like once I get into the day, it's all visions and excitement, but man, I wake up and it's like fear sitting on my chest. Huh. The most helpful thing that I can do is just write it down. I get my journal out and is, I, I don't try to figure it out. I don't try to solve it. I don't try to figure it out. I load the page up with all of the potential fears I could have in my life. And five minutes later, it's like a breath of fresh air. Because then I can decide if I want to handle it. The data is there. Oh, and it's almost comforting to myself because I'm like, oh, it makes sense why I would be afraid. I'm up to some big things. Look at all these things I could be afraid of. What do I want to choose to handle today? And just to add on a very easy tool, I'm always thinking through how do we help people listening to really grab onto this? If you are thinking to yourself right now, I really can't let go of this fear and it's crippling me. I love the very simple question, what am I making this mean about me? Because I think what we've said without saying it explicitly is that so much of this has to do with our beliefs about who we are, aka our identity. And oftentimes I don't think we're seeing it that way. We're treating it as if it's just a true fear. It's a sober fear when actually it often has to do with a fear about what things mean about us, who we are, our future. So I may say like, well, I'm afraid to you know, make that request to my boss, but really underneath it might be, because if I don't get that, this response that I want, if I don't get the result that I want, then that's going to mean 
that I don't get that promotion. And that's going to mean that I can't provide for my family. And that's going to mean that I'm actually a failure. So like all the way back to what John was saying was his original fear from the time he was a kid was failure. And so I think just like understanding that and the simple, what am I making that mean about me has been a very helpful question for myself personally to get clear on what's really going on here underneath the surface. One of our colleagues, Jean Marie Jobs, once told me that cynicism is premature disappointment in the future without evidence. Um. I want to continue to refine my fear finder, kind of like a metal detector. Fear doesn't always show up in my life and in my clients' lives and my kids' lives, in my colleagues' lives as, you know, slapping your cheeks like Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone and screaming. I was watching Insidious with my eldest daughter two nights ago, and every time some jump scare came up, we giggled, which is an interesting fear response. I'm curious, as coaches, as leaders, what are some of the maybe kind of odd or surprising symptoms that may be revealing some fear under the surface in the people that we coach and lead? I hadn't thought of that, but there is a lot of time where that nervous laughter can be very revelatory. I don't know that this is odd. I think it's very common, actually. A big sign for me and for helping at least many of the people I coach identifying that they're caught up in in an initial response of fear is what's your gut doing and what is your chest doing? Uh, So where does fear live for you? Are you aware of that? For me, it's in my gut. I actually feel physically sick. So if I'm starting to feel nauseous, that's a good sign that something has gripped me and it's got a hold of me. It's good. I think I see a couple of the most common responses to fear are going to be people that lash out against it, right? Like Uh, I think uh. of stress, I think of pressure, sort of the attack against it. It will not overcome me. And then I think maybe the other one is more shrinking back, becoming quiet. You know, the energy leaves sort of two, two responses I see, even in a room when we're in a training room. And often I think about, you know, how is that influenced? How is a person's individual response influenced by where they've come from? That's why I like to get to know stories. I like to ask questions around, how were you raised? You know, big family, small family. Because I think that's probably where we learn a lot of our fear responses. Because, you know, developmentally, how safe are you? How safe did you (laughs) feel? Janet, I'm sure you could go off in personal relationships and how this affects fear responses. Well, I was just going to say, I think if you're in a long-term romantic relationship, you probably have examples coming up out the wazoo because there's nothing like a human mirror to who lives with you, who sees you at your worst to present to you all of your fears. And so, yeah, I can already think through the myriad of examples of moments where, to me, the one that came up was blame. I think blame is a common initial response to fear that I'm often like, oh, hmm, that's interesting. (laughs) And usually it's like fear of, is this going to happen forever? Or is this the way that it is? Or does Uh. this mean this person doesn't love me? Or, you know, whatever it is. And I find when my brain is looking to prove itself right about my fears about the person that I'm living with, specifically about my husband, then often it shows up as blame or like a quick response, like a default response to to judge without being curious. So usually, and I think we'll probably hit on this, but you know, when I'm in a fear mode, when I'm in judgment mode, 
My brain is looking to prove itself right. And I am absolutely not at all curious about the person that I'm talking to, or in this case, in my relationship. So that's one of the biggest indicators for me. Jenna, I think you nailed something with the, you know, and often in a romantic relationship, the mirror concept, right? It's like, all of you is exposed. And then I'm thinking of us as coaches at Novus Global. And we're all about growth for our clients, but we're all about growth for our coaches and ourselves. And what I see in the coaching world is one of the main reasons a coach might want to not be a part of a firm is because the firm's going to reveal a lot of the fears and the gaps, right? So a great way to avoid feeling fear, feeling discomfort is I'm going to go on my own because, right, I have ways of not even thinking about that much in the same way when we avoid being in a relationship. And so I would say at Novus Global, I have so many opportunities for my fears to come up. And one of my favorite favorite reasons being a part of the firm is it makes me a better person, right? It shows me the fears and lovingly invites me to look at them so that year after year, I can continue to grow in ways that I didn't even think were possible. What if one call could change what you once thought was impossible into a reality? Novus Global is offering you an exploration call with one of their world-class coaches to explore what you as a leader and your team are capable of. Novus Global is an elite executive coaching firm that works with multi-billion dollar companies, professional athletes, nonprofit leaders in faith and government, all to create teams, companies, and communities that go beyond high performance. Book your call right now, just go to novus.global forward slash now. John, I love that. One of the ways fear shows up is the desire to remain individualized and invisible and solo. Mm. I think that another odd place where fear sometimes shows up is actually in unity. There's this principle that I've leaned into before, which is nothing unites people faster than a common fear, mm. but nothing unites them more deeply than a common vision. So if we can all be afraid of the same thing together, we're going to, misery's going to love company. We're going to create a system that perpetuates the thing that we're, it perpetuates our fear yeah. and holds us back together. And then we can be right about that together. We can be safe together or the delusion of safety together. So unity sometimes is a really interesting byproduct of nurturing fear, not addressing the fears that we have I was thinking more about like not so much the way that a community armors up, maybe more individually, but I think we as communities also armor up. So it's from Brene Brown's Dare to Lead where she talks about the armory. Like when we're tempted to shame out, fear is usually driving us, but it could be shame, blame, frustration, you know, whether it's that push energy John talked about or more that protective retreating energy, either one of those might arise when fear is driving us but what is it like what's the armor we put on to keep from feeling afraid just think of hey this shield is going to protect me i'm going to grab my spear you know maybe put the helmet on which piece of armor is going to give you protection from fear because fear is telling you be scared be afraid something is about to cause you pain something is about to cause you trauma or uh, something that you don't want So in that moment, um, I I do really like uh, how Brene Brown articulates, like these are some of the ways that we armor up. And then our work with clients is really to help them shed that armor and realize, oh, wow, 
I have the ability to take an arrow to the heart and stay standing because I've shifted out of kind of a fear-based operations modality into, we'd say, love-based. And I've been playing a lot with joy-based. I was shocked to find that love isn't a primary emotion. I thought, how can that be? This is what drives me. But I think that love actually comes out of a moment of happiness and delight in a way that we, and even surprise, which is a primary emotion, and that love kind of flows from that. And if I could have any emotion that's stuck around rather than what fear creates in me, I'd really want that thing that love creates in me. And I do think as communities, we pick even the secondary emotion that comes out of fear as a community, like we're a community where everyone's overwhelmed or we're a community where everyone blames or where everyone is unkind to themselves and beats themselves up to prove like I'm doing a good job, the failure's not on me. So whatever those kind of behaviors are, maybe if we could begin to, you know, again, pull back the curtains. So I love that concept that Brene Brown uses. All right, coaches, let's give our listeners some hope. How might you address fears as a coach? You have a client that's doing something expansive for us leaders out there, for the parents that are listening out there. You've got kids and they've got big dreams and big hopes, but they have fear. How might we help hold space for, address the fear so that we push through it, we leverage it for maximum resource, and we don't let it drive our decision-making moving forward? Yeah, I love that. And I'm going to answer that by speaking to a specific fear that I see pretty prevalent. And it's really, I mean, it's all over the workplace, but it could be a personal relationship as well. And it's having difficult conversations. That's where I see the most fear show up, whether it's giving feedback, making that bold request, making that request that you might create rejection. And the thing I want to say about that is that I love to think of building that ability as a muscle, just like you would if you go to the gym and you want to get stronger. You know, the first time that I go to the gym, it's going to be difficult. You know, and when if you have been in a state where you've mostly avoided having some of those conversations, it's going to be difficult. And so, you know, the first place I start with is taking that risk and sharing and being messy and allowing yourself to go again, to go again, to go again. So one, I think first notice where that fear might be showing up as far as having that conversation. I see this on teams all the time where teams that often have a really great morale, they love each other, they talk often about love, and then we get to the portion of our training where it's time to give and receive feedback. And I just watch as people's bodies tense up and people hold back or they they soften the blow and then they avoid those conversations. So I would say that would be the first place that I would play around with. Like, where can you make those requests or share that thought or share that notice? And there are good, you know, best practices around doing those things. But the best place to start is just to take that swing and have that conversation. Y'all jump in here. I think there's so much hope with fear. I think, you know, where I started, I definitely advocate for fear to be around us. We talk about it often. I think I, I keep, you know, this is a podcast on fear. I think one of the biggest 
fears that people have is fear that I won't get what I want. Fear that I won't get what I want. No problem. I'm so glad we know what we want. Now will we move off of the fear and move into the rest of your life and then do it again because our wants change and they change constantly. Another personal example is dirt biking is something I took up during COVID. There's there's so much fear for me when I'm dirt biking. And I tell you what, I've never been more focused than when I'm dirt biking because there's a high cost when I'm doing that. And so I think when you're up to something with a lot of fear, I think it can be such a great focuser. We know when we coach and we interact with a lot of leaders. And I think we know a lot of leaders, we coach with a lot of leaders. And I think leaders can often have the misconception that they're not allowed to have fear, right? Everyone else can have fear, but I'm in charge. I can show no fear. And I would invite any leader listening what is your vision for your fear? And what is your vision for vulnerability with your fear with your team? Because they follow you as the example. <laughs> they don't do what you tell them to do. They do what you show them is the way and the culture. And some of my favorite leaders have the most beautiful relationships with fear. They talk about it. They're not constrained by it. And frankly, it's inspiring watching then what their teams get to do with fear. They're not so afraid of it, Janet, anymore. They give feedback and they jump in there. And so I would invite any leader to really think about what is that vision that you have for your relationship with fear, how you're going to use fear, and then how you're going to model that for the rest of your team. I definitely have been on a journey of conquering fear. And I'm right in there with you, Janet. One of the things that is was beautiful about me becoming a coach was getting over the fear of choosing and naming that I was in a place that I didn't like. So I was afraid of making a move into something that I would like less or something that really wouldn't fit the impact I wanted. Yeah. And I had invested so much time in these other things. I was afraid if I went on to this new thing called being an executive coach, that I would somehow miss that impact or that job, that ideal job. And on the other side of that, I've discovered something that I think is more of a calling and a vocation even than work for me. And at the same time, I've discovered, wow, there are people that are a lot better than I am at this calling, this job, this vocation. And I'm not saying I'm not good. I just see the breadth of the beauty of something that I came into late in life and I'm looking at coaches in our firm, like the ones on this call, but also as I'm reading and experiencing meeting colleagues in the city of Vancouver, across Canada as I travel in the US as well, just the amazingness that is present in coaches. And I can go to the fear place, like I'll never be that good or I'll never get mm. there. But if my life has taught me anything is that on the other side of stepping into and past your fear, embracing something you don't know is gonna maybe be, go that well, whether for me it's rock climbing, am I gonna make it to the top of the climb? And trust me, I've been lowered off a lot of climbs. Am I going to make it on that backcountry hike after rehabbing my knee? Am I gonna make it through that conversation, <laughs> letting somebody know how I felt? Am I gonna make it to the next level of relationship with one of my adult children or with my husband or with a friend that I really feel disconnected from but I'm longing to be with? Whatever that fear is, if you cast your mind back to a moment that you thought was, oh, I don't know what the outcome is going to be. For me, stepping in, I'm feeling nervous. I'm feeling a little trepidation. I'm not sure I can do this thing. And you step into it and you might even fumble the ball a few times or you're experimenting 
and it doesn't go so well, but all of a sudden you get to the end and you're like, wow, that was amazing. There's a lot of beautiful moments that began in fear for me, but they ended in delight or they ended in deep satisfaction or they ended in impact or they ended in a new kind of intimacy. So I feel like the fruit of fear, and we don't think about this, it is really tastes good sometimes. So you can think of, you know, let's eat that fear and what's it going to, what's it going to bring about? What kind of satisfaction could it bring to your life if you stepped into it? Lee, that was great. Yeah. Any final thoughts on fear before we close up? Yeah. I'll just give another practical tip, a tool. I would invite all the listeners to really be thinking about, do you have techniques to notice fear? Are you connected to your body? I've really been nerding out on a, the nervous system, a regulated nervous system versus a dysregulated nervous system. And probably last six to 12 months, the greatest gift in my life has been my connection with my breath. And there's, there's so many studies out there. This is a hot topic right now on regulating your nervous system. And if I could wave my magic wand and give every company and every family the ability like to give a human the ability to regulate their nervous system, then anything is possible, right? Because then they're choosing and they're not out of control. So breathing, and there's many forms of breath work, but breathing has been one of my favorite parts, really dropping in. And it's allowed just so much more connection with others, so much more curiosity for others. I, I just think that's beautiful, whether it's business or in your personal relationships. My closing thought is... And it's a little bit of what's already been said, but if you're still not connecting to what you are afraid of or struggling to even know if you do have things you're afraid of or you feel it in your body, but you don't know how to verbalize it, I would start with your avoidances as well. Notice yeah. where you are avoiding certain things, certain specifics in your life. Notice what you may be tolerating in your life. And maybe there's a little voice in your head that's saying, I don't, know, I don't know why I'm tolerating this. That's often a great place to kind of take a look or kind of poke around to see, oh, I wonder what's going on there. And obviously, it's like we say a lot around here, it's hard to do surgery on yourself. Invite a mentor, a coach, someone else into your thought process and allow them to kind of listen and notice for where you might have fears that you're not looking at yet. That's beautiful. I Maybe I'd just throw in one of our values, which is vision at Novus Global. And we say it's a picture of the future that in, inspires passion or energy in you. And I really think that commitment to a beautiful future can trump fear. So if you're in a moment of fear, reconnecting with a vision, and if you don't know how to get clear on a vision, and I'm not always talking about specific out, outcomes, but a visualized picture of the future that you desire that would be worth going after. And think of, you know, some of the beautiful visions of the future that have taken hundreds of years to achieve. Yeah, just for your own life, even if you couldn't reach it, would it have been worth going after a state like that or a state of mind or a type of relationship or an actual vision and outcomes? And that can almost like, if that can rise while the fear rises, often it'll you'll have a reason to come out to play and to, you know, step up to courage. We have been talking about fear and why avoiding it actually leaves a whole lot of resource on the table. So there's so much more 
beyond our fear, through our fear, but we have to understand, we would suggest that it's great to understand how to leverage it, what fear might be telling you, uh, what it could awaken in you if you really know what to do as you navigate the scary times in life and the choppy waters that beset all of us. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to my colleagues for pouring out and helping us make more of fear. We'll see you next time. All right, we have a few more things to let you know about before we go. First, podcast reviews really help us serve more people. So if this podcast is helpful for you, we'd love your help to get it into as many leaders' hands as possible. Please leave us a review, even if it's not five stars. And if you really want to go the extra mile, let us know what you'd like to hear more of or what you think we could do better to serve you and the people you care about. Okay, second, we have more resources for you online and they're all free. We have free assessments, educational videos, articles from sources like Fast Company, written by our coaches and clients, all designed to help you use our tools in your everyday life and leadership. To dive into the free treasure trove of goodies we have for you, go to novus.global and then click on resources. Some of you have been listening for a while and you haven't yet taken that next step to hire a coach. This is your time. I can't tell you how often I've heard from clients around the world that they wish they would have talked to us sooner. If you have a sense that you're capable of more, we would be thrilled to explore what coaching could do for you and those you influence. Simply email us at begin at novus.global or click the link in the show notes. You also might be listening to this thinking, maybe you want to be a coach, or maybe you already are and you have a vision to build a six or seven figure practice coaching people you love in a way that brings life to you and your clients. Well, that's why we created the Meta Performance Institute for Coaching. It is an in-depth coaching apprenticeship designed to help you create the coaching practice of your dreams. The first step in exploring that is simple. Just go to www.mp, as in metaperformance.institute. There we have free assessments to help you see what kind of training you need to create the coaching practice the way our coaches do at Novus Global. And finally, and for some of you, this will be the most important part. This podcast was produced by Rainbow Creative with Matthew Jones as senior producer, Steven Selnick as producer, and editors and audio engineers, Drew MacPal and Jeremy Davidson. We love working with this team. To find out more about how to create a podcast for you and your business, check them out at rainbowcreative.co. Thank you so much for listening. We love making these for you. And remember, dare to go beyond high performance.